Amen. If you have your Bibles this morning, we're going back to Mark chapter 12. I would encourage you to memorize this text. It's it's a very uh, powerful piece of scripture. But Mark 12, starting at verse 28, says, And one of the scribes came, and having heard them reasoning together, and perceiving that he had answered them well, asked him, Which is the first commandment of all? And Jesus answered him, The first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. The second is like, namely this, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandment greater than these. Amen. This is our our central passage, if you like, our foundational passage as we continue our series that is simply called One God and Two Commandments. Amen. In our last lesson a couple of Sundays ago, we considered that we are all made up of body, soul, and spirit. And we looked at how our natural senses, our five natural senses, feed information into our minds that is interpreted and that affects our thinking, our emotions, our imaginations. And in our unsaved condition, that information that we are receiving and interpreted is combined with our fallen sinful nature that is within us. And so before we're born again, within and without, we are influenced by things that aren't of God. And this produces our behavior, our habits, and our lifestyle. But once we're born again, thank the Lord, there is now a new influence. We have the Spirit of God living within us, and the Word of God is in our hearing and our seeing and our reading. Amen. And these working together, God's Spirit within us, as well as the Word of God being received by us, work together when we combine them with boundaries or when we separate ourselves from things that we shouldn't be involved in. And that, over the course of time, produces a change in our thinking, change in our emotions, and a change in our behavior. And we are given the first commandment that is relative to the one true God, which is found in Mark chapter 12 and verse 30, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. Anybody feel like you've achieved that across the board? You're loving God with everything you've got and every facet, every area of your life. If you've got that squared away, I'd really like your assistance after the service to help me work that out. But we are commanded to love. And as we mentioned In our last lesson, love in a human understanding cannot be commanded but must be voluntarily given. But when we speak about love, when we speak about the love of God and the love that the Word of God speaks about, it's not a light-hearted, fluffy thing. It's not just a fleeting emotion without any form of commitment. And we, we discussed how that in English we basically have one word for love, And the strength or the application of that word is understood through the context of its use. We talk about the things we love. But in the Greek word, the Greek rather, in the Greek language, there are multiple words that are translated as love. But almost always when we are talking about God's love for us and the love that he desires to produce in us, we are talking about the Greek word agape or agapeo. 
And this is the kind of love that God has for mankind. It is a love that is willing to sacrifice. It is a love that is willing to be inconvenienced to give of itself and to to put other people first. Naturally, we are selfish. But the love of God causes us, as the Bible says, to prefer one another. Amen. And the love that God has for us, and as a product of that, the love that He requires from us to Him and that we are required to extend to others is a love that pays a price. It's a love that's willing to pay a price. And so as as a part of this series for a a few minutes this morning, I know it's warm, uh, I'm ministering about that concept, about what it means to pay a price as part of loving God with everything that we have. Acts chapter 4, going to read a few verses here, going to read a bit of scripture this morning. As always, I'm happy to give scriptures or notes to those that would like them. Acts 4 and starting at verse 36 says, And Joseph, who by the apostles was surnamed Barnabas, which is, being interpreted, the son of consolation, a Levite and of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. And a certain man named Ananias with his wife, with Sapphira his wife, sold a possession and kept back part of the price his wife also being privy to her, she was involved in the decision, and they brought a certain part or a portion of the sale and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why hath Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back part of the price of the land? While it remained, was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was it not in thine own power? Why hast thou conceived or come up with this idea, this idea in your heart, thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God. And so it seems, doesn't lay it out in exact detail, but it seems what has happened is Ananias and Sapphira have wanted to get on this bandwagon of, of, of giving and they probably really liked how others were esteemed for doing it. And they've communicated that this is how much we sold the land for and we have brought it all. But they've actually held back some of it. And in verse 5 it says, And Ananias, hearing these words, fell down, and gave up the ghost, which is King James English, for he died. And great fear came on all them that heard these things. And the young men arose, wound him up, and carried him out and buried him. And it was about the space of three hours later when his wife, not knowing what was done, came in. She probably thought, where's my husband? He's taking a long time. And Peter answered unto her and said, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yes, for so much. And then Peter said unto her, how is it that you have agreed together? to tempt the Spirit of the Lord. Behold, the feet of them which have buried thy husband are at the door and shall carry thee out. Then she, then fell she down straightway at his feet, yielded up the ghost, and the young men came in, found her dead, carried her out and buried her by her husband. A great fear came upon all the church and upon as many as heard these things. This story is, at least in my opinion, one of the most confronting accounts in the New Testament. Students of the scripture know that in the Old Testament, an eye was taken for an eye and a life for a life. We also know that idolatrous nations were judged by God from time to time and that he used his people as the avenue, the tool of his judgment when he would cause them, where he would command them to destroy certain people groups and certain people that did certain things. And that's God's right as sovereign. We have to remember that. He is the king of kings. 
Sometimes when we say, well, how could God do that? It's the wrong question. The right question is, really, why doesn't he kill us all? (laughs) But we have his grace and his mercy. Amen. And while that may not be palatable to our preferences, he is the judge of all mankind. And when he chooses to judge and dispense consequences, it's up to him how, when, and why he does that. We need to remember that although Noah and his family found grace, the rest of the world did not. Amen. But in the New Testament, in the New Testament, we are introduced to a Jesus who welcomes little children, who heals lepers, who does not condemn someone taken in the act of adultery. He eats with tax collectors and he shows compassion upon Samaritans. He's, he's just an all-around really nice guy. And he loves so much that he lays his life down for us rises from the dead and around about seven weeks later he pours out his spirit in the second chapter of the book of Acts and thousands are being added to the church in the first half a dozen chapters of the book of Acts being born again of water and spirit. It's exciting, it's powerful, the church is exploding. Those in need are being ministered to. The infant church is sharing their possessions as the love of God flows through them by his spirit. And then a married couple, Ananias and Sapphira, get their motives a bit twisted and God judges them with a suddenness that probably shocked everybody. It probably took everybody by surprise. They were under no obligation to give any money. They were under no obligation to give the total of the sale price. They could have given whatever portion that they chose. But there was something in the dishonesty, something in the deceit and perhaps the impact that it would have on the church that caused a very strong response from the Lord. And they paid a price that was not currency, but it was their lives. They paid a price they never intended to pay when they got up that morning. And as I was thinking about this lesson and and praying and and trying to follow the leading of the Spirit of the Lord and then I got to thinking about this story, it struck me that we can pay a price in so many ways, so many different ways. It's not always out of our wallets, sometimes it is, but we can pay a price in so many ways. In fact, we pay a price in some form in almost everything that we do, whether it's financial, whether it's our time, our energy, or our emotions. Now, before you get too terrified, I'm not speaking about tithing this morning. We may do that in the coming weeks. But even, even when we approach the Lord, we pay a price. Now, we know the Bible tells us we're saved by grace, that grace is a product of the love of God that he has for us. It cannot be earned by action or any merit that we possess. It costs Jesus everything, that it might not cost us anything. We know that. We know that it is the gift of God towards us. But what about when we reject the gospel? What about when we turn away from the grace of God, when we say, no, I don't believe in God, or, or no, I don't want to obey the word of God, or no, I don't think I need to be saved? What happens instantly when you do that is you begin to pay a price. See, salvation is free by the grace of God, but the rejection of salvation is costly because we begin to pay a price 
in other ways. Our lives in the present will possibly be impacted and our eternity, if we don't change that decision, will be full of torment and suffering. And so although it seems a little bit counterintuitive when we reject the free gift of God, we pay prices in other ways in consequences. Amen. Matthew chapter 13, starting at verse 44, says again, The kingdom of heaven is like unto a treasure hid in a field, the which when a man hath found, he hideth, and for joy thereof goes and sells all that he has, and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a merchant man seeking goodly pearls, who, when he has found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. So in both of these parables, we see a consideration of cost. Somebody sat down and they've, they've crunched the numbers. They've looked at what they have. They've looked at what they're interested in getting. They've, the, the man who finds the treasure in the field and the merchant man both decide that what they have found is worth selling everything that they have and purchasing. They believed that it was worth all that they had. There was a price that was involved. Amen. We see possibly a reverse of that in Mark chapter 10, verse 17. It says, And when he was gone forth into the way, there came one running and kneeled to him and asked him, Good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? And Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, and that's God. Thou knowest the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not kill. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness, defraud not, honor thy father and mother. And he answered and said unto him, Master, all these things I have observed from my youth. Then Jesus, beholding him, loved him. When Jesus looked at him, he wasn't just looking at his face. Jesus had the unique ability to look into a person's soul. And he said unto him, There's one thing that you lack. Go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast, give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come, take up the cross, and follow me. And he was sad at that saying, this is the young man, and went away grieved for he had great possessions. The man in this passage is confronted by the statement that there's still something that he lacks. I think he was fairly persuaded he had everything sorted out, to be honest. I think he was looking for a little affirmation. But then Jesus said, well, actually, now that I can look into your heart, there is one thing that you lack, and if you, you know, it's, it's, it's impacting eternal life. What was his question? What must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, there's one thing you lack. So it's connected to his eternity. And the man that we have come to know as the rich young ruler finds himself having to choose a price. He can either obey what Jesus says and pay the price of selling all that he has for what Jesus described as treasure in heaven. Or he can reject that instruction, keep his possessions, and pay the price that has eternal consequences. The bottom line is he's going to pay something. There isn't a third option where there's no cost. There's a choice where he either pays in response to Jesus or he pays the consequence of not following what Jesus told him to do. Somehow, some way, he's paying a price. There's no free option in this story. One way or another, a transaction is taking place. Amen. And that's kind of how life is when you think about it. When you make a decision to work or to study 
You pay a price in time and effort. It costs you something to go to work. It, it costs you something if you're serious about study. You need to get up on time in the morning. You need to get there on time. And some days you don't feel like it, but if you're smart, you go anyway. It costs you something. There is a price. And if you choose not to show up to work or not to study, it can seem so much easier. So much, don't set the alarm, just sleep right in until I happen to feel like getting out of bed. I don't need to go to school, I'm just going to do whatever. And it seems like you avoid a price, but there is still a price that comes later on. Proverbs says that lazy people go hungry. (laughs) That's what the book of Proverbs says. It says if you don't work during the harvest, you'll be hungry when they reap the crop. You'll be watching everybody else eat from their labors and you'll be begging for help. That's what the Bible says. So either way, you pay a price somewhere. Every decision we make has a cost attached to it in some way. or I'm not talking about a, a gospel of salvation by works of how we earn our way into heaven, but choices lead us down pathways. Choices involve some kind of cost. Luke chapter 14. Verse 25, and it says, And there were great multitudes with him, and he turned and said unto them, If any man come unto me, and hate not his father and mother, and wife and children, and brethren and sisters, that's not justification for when your teenagers don't love you. That is talking about comparatively, that our love for God should be so much that it supersedes every other relationship in our lives. And yea, his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whosoever does not bear his cross... Come after me, cannot be my disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower, let's make it current, intending to build a house, doesn't sit down first and count the costs? You know, when you go to the bank and they they say, we will lend you this terrifying sum of money, you have to decide, am I able to take care of those mortgage payments? Because contrary to opinion, banks aren't really concerned about your well-being. If you sign the line, they'll take your money. Amen. But he said, which, which of you doesn't sit down first and count the cost, whether he have sufficient to finish it? Lest happily or after a while, after he's laid the foundation, is not able to finish it, and all that behold it begin to mock him, saying this man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going to make war against another king, sitteth not down first and consulteth whether he be able with 10,000 to meet him that cometh against him with 20,000? Or else, while the other is yet a great way off, he sendeth an ambassage and desireth conditions of peace. Tries to talk it through. So likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he has, he cannot be my disciple. This whole passage speaks to me about a price, about a cost, about weighing up. How much do we have? How much can we give? Are we willing to do it? It, Particularly in this passage refers to being willing to pay whatever it takes to finish the job, to go all the way, to not have a half-built house or to go into a battle that we're guaranteed to lose. And Jesus draws that natural comparison with those of us that want to be his disciples. So that means there is a place and a time, and I promise you it's more than once, where as a disciple of Jesus Christ, you will need to sit down and say, am I willing to pay the price. It's free to get into the kingdom. It's not free to stay there. 
I'm sorry, that's a misunderstanding of grace. We still need grace when we're in the kingdom. But he wants us to be involved. Amen. You see, it's not popular in a concept, in a, you know, we live in a, in a modern Western world that focuses very much on comfort and, and not being disturbed. But, and I don't want to upset too many people if I can this morning, but the kingdom of God is a high commitment kingdom. The kingdom of God is a high commitment, high involvement kingdom. Amen. When I read the word of God, when I read what he was willing to do for me and the price that he paid and what he called us to do as his followers, it is not light and easy. What did Jesus say? You've got to love me more than anybody else so much so it's like you're hating your family. You've got to be willing to weigh it up and give everything that you have to follow me. That doesn't sound like light commitment to me. But we live in a modern Western Christianity that's all about just being blessed. What's our foundation? Mark 12 and 30. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, all thy soul, all thy mind. All thy strength. This is the first commandment. That's the benchmark. That's what we're supposed to be aiming for. That's not... With everything I've got, that doesn't speak to me of low commitment. Jesus had multitudes follow him when he was providing free lunches and miracles. But once he began to talk about commitment, about sacrifice, about cost and price, the crowd just vanished like fog, just just evaporated. And even his closest followers hesitated. He started to say some things and they were like, whoa, that's a bit intense, Lord. Can we wind that back a little? But he said, that's how it is. And then he said, he didn't say, well, would you like me to adjust that? He said, you're going to leave as well? You know, I am... So thankful this morning for the blessings and the goodness of God. I'm so grateful that time and time again he's been so good to me. His provision, his grace, his mercy, his, his long suffering is almost terrifying to think about how long suffering he is with us sometimes. But we have to understand in the midst of all of his goodness, Jesus didn't just come for fish sandwiches. He didn't just come to feed a multitude. He came to save the world. He came to set us free from sin. He came to transform us. He paid everything so that we might freely come to him. But now that we have come to him freely, now that we are here, if I'm going to love him with everything that I have, there's a price involved in that. There's a cost. You can't. You can't love somebody very much before it inconveniences you. Otherwise, it's not really love. Amen. You know, if I'm going to pay a price as a, as a child of God and commit myself to prayer and fasting, it's going to cost me. How many knows that fasting costs? Not groceries. It saves you some money on groceries. Although you probably get twice as much the next day, so it probably balances out. But when you say, Lord, I'm going to commit myself to pray and to fast, it costs you something. It's inconvenient. It's not pleasant. And yet even when we're suffering, if we can call it that, when we fast, the Lord says, don't show it and smile at everybody. 
But it costs you something to be consecrated. But if I make the decision not to pray and not to fast, that costs me something as well. There's a price one way or the other. If I, if I, you know, if I don't commit myself to it, if I, if I abandon consecration, I'm going to pay the price of not being able to walk close to Jesus, of struggling to hear his voice, of being primarily influenced by my flesh and the world around me. So one way or another, nobody gets out for free. You pay a price one way or another. You know, people think, well, this living for God is too hard. I'm going to go back into the world. You think you, the price you're going to pay in sin? The suffering, the anguish, the anxiety, the addiction, all of those things, you think that's free? We pay a price one way or another. You know what the devil wants us to believe? He wants us to believe that, you know, serious commitment and consecration isn't worth it and that we should be balanced and not overdo things. I don't have a problem with balance. I do have a problem when balance is an excuse for mediocrity. That's kind of the religious world we live in. Yes, we love Jesus and we don't, but, you know, we might not want him to mess with our lives too much. Don't mess with my schedule, Lord. Don't mess with my finances or with my family. That approach, that preference is for a faith that is pleasant and doesn't shake anything up, is a deception of a cost that will, you will pay down the road. Right now, that seems rational. But you will pay a price. One place or another. Amen. By the grace of God, we want to love him with everything. I hope that's your heart's desire this morning. I want to love him with everything that I have, but we also want our children to do the same. That means that we pay a price now to set an example. We pay a price now to demonstrate priorities. We pay the price that is required to raise them in this house to maximize their exposure to the presence, the power, and the love of God and to his people. Because when I read the book, they go together. When we consider making changes to what we do or who we are, we must consider the impact it has, not just in the present, but what flows into the next generation. Amen. You know, I believe Jesus is coming back soon. I don't believe that there are any prophetic events that are holding his return back. I believe he could come back before this service is finished. And we need to be ready for that return, but we also need to live like he's not coming back today. We need to, okay, if he's not coming back for 10 years, what am I doing now that's going to affect those next 10 years? Amen. If his return is a little further down the road, what will happen is our children will become adults They may well start their own families and they will be responsible for the church. They will be responsible for the gospel and the decisions that we make today. The the prices we choose to pay or not to pay will produce fruit in their lives, not just in ours. Amen. And we must be willing to pay a price now that will launch the next generation towards a committed consecrated, powerful life in Jesus Christ. When you look around the world at the moment, look at the chaos and the madness and the corruption and the immorality and the complete abandonment of all morals. Imagine this world in 2034. 
What kind of church needs to be able to stand in 10 years' time? A compartmentalized, unruffled, rational commitment? Or a, all of my heart, all of my soul, all of my mind, and all of my strength? Amen. You know, if we wind back our commitment, we don't go to church as much as we used to, or we're not as committed and consecrated as much as we do. If you've been around a while, you might be okay. You might glide into heaven, maybe. don't want to risk it personally. You might, you, you might be okay. But those that follow our example will likely continue that gradual drift. That's the concern. And the price that they will pay, we didn't even think about today. Amen. Bless the Lord. Strong message this morning. I hope you're still with me. Amen. You know, when I, when I look back, when I consider the example of those who have gone before me, their example challenges me to do better. It doesn't encourage me to cruise. It makes me feel convicted. It makes me think, God, I've got to do better than I used to do. It does not promote complacency or comfort. Their willingness to pay a price challenges me to do the same. Because if we're talking about loving God, it's that agape love. It's sacrificial. It's inconvenient. It's not fluffy, warm and fuzzy. You know, I was on the, had a conversation the other day on the phone with a precious elder, a lady, a sister who's in her early 90s. And uh, we, as we chatted, we spoke for about an hour and a half. We spoke about people that we'd both known. She can obviously reach back a lot further than me. But we spoke about people that we'd known in the church through the years and, and the legacy that they left behind and their willingness to pay the price and to sacrifice. And while we were talking, she, she, she told me that she and, she and her husband were involved in national leadership. Some of you may remember them. But, but she told me that during their ministry, they moved over 30 times. And the number one reason they usually moved was to take over a church that was in trouble and nurse that church back to health. 30 times. You want to talk about paying a price? You pack with your eyes closed. Amen. They weren't forced to do it. Nobody forced them. They weren't driven by guilt or berated into doing it. But because they loved the Lord with all their heart, soul, mind and strength. And now it's our turn. And not just to serve, but to leave an example. Amen. You and I are going to pay a price of some kind. I think we've established that principle. Amen. Somewhere we're paying something. Whether it's consequences, commitment, we're, we're going to pay something. And we're going to pay that in our lives, but also in the lives of those who follow us. Will the transaction that I'm involved in, will it look to those that follow me? Like I love Jesus with everything that I have. Brother Rowan, it costs us something to make disciples. There's a price involved. You can't download them or get them delivered on Amazon Prime. It costs you something to make a disciple. It's inconvenient. If somebody was worth, thought it was worth doing it for you, and we need to feel the same way about somebody else's soul. Amen. It costs us something to make a disciple, but what an investment. What an investment when somebody is saved and begins to walk with God. And if that cycle continues, they begin to be disciple makers themselves. That's our mission. Amen. Luke chapter 9, and I'm 
not too far off being done. Luke 9 and 57 says, And it came to pass that as they went in the way, a certain man said unto him, Lord, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. And Jesus said unto him, The foxes have holes, the birds of the air have nests. Son of man has not where to lay his head. And he said unto another, Follow me. But he said, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. And Jesus said unto him, Let the dead bury their dead, but go thou and preach the kingdom of God. And another also said, Lord, I will follow thee, but let me first go bid them farewell, which are at home in my house. And Jesus said unto him, No man, having put his hand to the plough and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. You know, in every invitation, their responses to Jesus seemed reasonable. I don't they weren't like, you know, seemed like reasonable requests. Got a family member passed away. Go, you know, I need to go home and say goodbye. I, and the Lord was just like, quite dismissive. We, we would even consider him in our own thinking to be unreasonable, to be inconsiderate, to be lacking compassion. But there's a warning here in this passage for what happens when we try to rationalize our commitment to God and get it to make sense. When, we, when our focus is on everything being rational and equally portioned and making sense, we're being guided more by flesh than by spirit. That's the danger. That's the danger that we have to be careful about. Amen. Let me, let me be clear this morning. I'm not trying to make you feel guilty this morning. It's not my goal. Even if it was, even if I was trying to make you feel guilty, it's not a motive that produces lasting fruit. You can't get lasting fruitfulness by making people feel bad. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. It's got to be love. It's only love that will cause us to respond. It's only love that will cause us to give him everything that we have. Love for Jesus caused the apostles to walk away from their lives and follow him. It caused Paul to go through a life of incredible persecution. It caused all of them, as far as we know from church tradition, to literally lay down their lives for the gospel. That's extreme. I don't know that any of them died of old age. But it wasn't because they were felt guilty or convicted. Only love will cause you to do that. Only sacrificial love will say, Lord, with all of my heart, all of my soul, all of my mind, and all of my strength. Amen. Hebrews chapter 10, my last passage of scripture. In the the 10th chapter of Hebrews, the, the first portion, chunk of the chapter, talks to us about how the blood of Jesus is superior to the blood of animal sacrifices in the Old Testament and how that, because of Jesus and because of the cross, we have a new and a living way that we can live and we can boldly come into his presence, come into his throne room. And, and it, that's the platform that flows into verse 23 of Hebrews 10 where it says, Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. For he is faithful that promise. We need to seize our faith. Hold on to it tight. Don't slacken your grip. Don't, don't diminish its importance, but hold on to it. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. What's the priority there? Love. To provoke one another to love the Lord. To love one another and the demonstration of that will be in our actions. 
And verse 25 says, Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching. Amen. If we are holding on to our faith, trusting that he is faithful, and we are challenging one another, come on, let's serve God. Let's trust God. Let's live for God. It's worth it. Don't be discouraged. Don't turn to the left or to the right. That will be demonstrated in how often and how much we value coming together. That went over like a flock of dogs, as Brother Gleason said. We don't like to be challenged with that, but that's Bible. In fact, it says that what we are going to see is that that will diminish in people. What are we encouraged to provoke one another to? Love. What did Jesus say in Matthew 24? That because of iniquity, the love of many will wax cold. Our commitment to the house of God, and I know, you know, it's not all we are, the church, it's not the building, please, I know. I've heard it 10,000 times. Our commitment to the house of God, to the people of God, to the family of God is directly connected to our love for God. That's Bible. That's Bible. That's what the scripture says. Don't forsake it. Don't rationalize it. I'm not saying there aren't other forms. That we, I, let me say this. Please get together outside of the house of the Lord. Please don't wait till there's a church event. Call somebody. If your phone works, get coffee. Get together. Encourage one another. Invite somebody over for dinner. If you can't cook, buy a pizza. That's assembling together as well. But that will never replace the people of God coming together to worship God, to be ministered to by the word of God, to be given direction, to find our identity in Jesus Christ as the people of God. Amen. Provoke one another to that. Bless the Lord. And be together. Let's stand this morning. All of my heart, my soul, my mind, and my strength. You are going to pay a price. That's a guarantee. You're going to pay a price in some form. It's up to you to decide which price you're going to pay. What's going to be the outcome? Am I willing to commit myself to the Lord? Am I willing to examine my consecration, my time in prayer, my time in the Word, my time in God's house, my time reaching out to other people and, and doing the things that God wants me to do and investing my gifts and my talents into the kingdom of God? That's going to cost you. That's not going to be convenient. Sometimes you will wonder, is it worth it? Why do I bother? Nothing seems to change. Nothing seems to be any better than it was when I started. But it is worth that price. Because if you decide it's not worth it, there's another price. There's another price that leads to complacency and lukewarmness and rationalizing our service with God and then we let's not be too crazy let's not be too extreme talk to the apostle Paul about crazy and extreme he's getting led out of a city in a basket because people want to kill him and when he hits the ground his next mission is the next person he's ministering the gospel to so you're going to pay a price I'm sorry, there's no third option here where we get a free pass. But let's be like the merchant man. I've got all these little pearls, but this pearl, this pearl's worth all my collection. This pearl is worth selling all the other ones that I have to get that one pearl of great price. 
this treasure that I've found. I'm going to give everything I have to purchase that treasure. Lift your hands and worship him if you would this morning. Bless the Lord. Bless the Lord. We're not going to open the altar, but right where we stand. If God is talking to you, I want you to lift your hands and say, Lord, help me to choose the right price. Lord, help me to make a decision about what I'm willing to sacrifice. Lord, help me to search my heart. Let me be very clear. You all have your own price. We're not all the same. God is speaking to each one of us individually about where you're at. But if he is talking to you, don't shut that out. Say, God, I want to be willing to pay the price. If he's dealing with you about forgiveness, yeah, it's not easy to forgive. It's uncomfortable. It hurts. It goes against my flesh. But if I don't pay that price, there's another price I'm going to pay that's called bitterness and hard-heartedness and I'll dry up and become dead in my spirit. Whatever it is that he's talking to us about this morning, help us to be willing to pay the price because God's will is the best deal of all time. Whatever he's asking you to pay, you're getting the best deal of all time. Hallelujah, because I has not seen, ear has not heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for us. Let's worship him. Lord, in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Oh, hallelujah. God, search my heart today. Stir my heart, Lord God, not by guilt. Lord God, not by being berated, but oh God, because I love you, because I want to love you with everything that I have, God, help me not to rationalize away my consecration. Help me not to make it all neat and scheduled, but God, with everything that is within me today. We worship you. We worship you, Jesus. We worship you, Jesus. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah, Jesus. That price is not always going to make sense. Brother Peter, Sister Cherry, does it make sense to take your little boy and move 2,200 kilometers to try and start a church in Broome? The cost of living is outrageous and it's going to be hard work, but if the Lord calls, Brother Bong, Sister Trish, Take your little family and move away from a church and go out to Bendigo. Have to start new schools and new jobs and those poor boys are working so hard every Sunday morning. But there's a call comes and there's a price. But when they see a soul saved, and I see that church growing and those people that are born again of water and spirit that are serving together with them, that are bringing other people in, oh, it's worth the price. That's that. What's we might think of those things as big prices, and yes, they are. But they start with little prices. If he's tapping you on the shoulder, don't be thinking about big things if you're not willing to do the little things. One more time, let's lift our hands and pray. Lord, we worship you. We worship you, Jesus. Help us, oh God, I pray. Help us, oh God, I pray. Give us understanding this morning that we will pay a price, Lord that we will pay a price in some fashion, somehow. But, oh, Lord, I pray that we would choose the path that you have set before us, that we would be obedient to your word, 
that we would be obedient to your voice, Lord, that as you're dealing with our hearts and our minds, that we would not shut you out, but, Lord, that we would say, God, help me by your grace and by your mercy. Lord, to be willing to do whatever it is you ask. Lord, if you're calling, I want to answer. Lord God, if you're asking, I want to give. Lord, if you're wanting to change me, Lord, help me to submit to that process. Help me not to justify myself. But, oh God, I pray. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, and with all thy strength.